Hey, everybody. How are you all? Wow, take a look around. Boy, this is pretty exciting. This is really good to see everybody here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. Gosh, this is wonderful. It's so good to see all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. How are you all? Would you please turn with me to the book of Romans? What a great place. Karen, I loved your text to me today. It was fun. She, um, Karen texted me about, uh, about what's going on in our, our society today. It just fits right in with Scripture. It's like we're, we're reading off the newspaper, really, and reading out of what is going on in the book of Romans. And uh, what we are going to see is a very, very tangible lesson of, of what is taking place in the world in which we live. Paul started off this great book of Romans telling us clearly about the gospel. You, you, you remember he said when he began all of this, introducing himself to the people in Rome because he had not been there yet. He was an apostle called. He was a bondservant of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and he was set apart for the gospel. Well, that's a great thing. It's, it, what's so wonderful about that is six verses later, he says, among whom you also, talking about the people in Rome, talking about us, talking about those of us who have given our hearts to Jesus Christ, we also are the called of Jesus Christ. It's such a great thing. He introduced himself, and then he, he says, I long to see you, he says in verse 11, so I might impart some spiritual gift to you. That, that you might be established, he said. And then he said four, three things in verses 14, 15, and 16, and 17. He says, I am. Three I ams. I am under obligation. I am eager, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he presents the gospel in its essence. He says, for in it, in the gospel, he says in verse 17 of chapter 1, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, he says, the righteous person shall live by faith. Paul reasoned with the folks in Rome concerning their salvation, that we are to receive God's righteousness that comes on the basis of faith, faith from faith to faith. Now you need to note something right away. In explaining that, Paul says in verse 17, we receive the righteousness that comes from God. It's of God. Reason being is, Paul is going to teach them now, starting in chapter where we are now, starting with verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20, that they, don't, they can't go to God on their own righteousness. So what he is saying in verse 17 is really a, an amazing verse. It, it, would be, it would behoove you to understand it, get to know it better. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous person must live by faith. And so he says the righteousness we receive is of God. The reason being, as he's going to explain to us, our righteousness, whatever we do, uh, whatever deeds you and I might do, like if, if we cleaned up here this morning so that we might find favor with God, no, that's, that's not why we, we should do things. Whatever we do that we think ought to make us right with God is not enough. It never will be. God says, I must give you my righteousness. In the Old Testament, as well as the New, this, this whole presentation has been given to us, laid out before us. 
God tells us in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 64, the first part of it, verse 6. First part of verse 6. He says that our righteousness... Let, let me tell you what, what, what Isaiah writes. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. How many of us? All of us. And all of our righteous deeds. How many of our righteous deeds? All of them are like a filthy garment. Scripture teaches that, well, that's just a filthy garment. Let's leave it at that. Note that it says all of us are like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. So God says clearly, right from the very get-go, that none of us can be right before him on our own merit. Now, how do I come up with saying none of us? I mean, certainly somebody. Have you never met my Aunt Sophie? I mean, she's never done anything wrong. Now, you mean to say to to me, John, that, that, that all of us are guilty before God? The answer to that is yes. In Romans, if you turn the next page or two, look at chapter 3. We've done this before, but I want you to be familiar with it because it is a shock to some people's system concerning our faith. The, Old, the New Testament confirms what was taught in the Old Testament. They both fit together. Paul writes in verse 9, What then? Are, are, are we better than they? No, not at all. We have already charged that both Jew as well as Greek are all under sin. Then he says, as it is written, there's none righteous. Not one, not even one, he says. Verse 11, there is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. Verse 12, all of us have turned aside together. We have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even one. I mean, it's emphatic. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are on their paths. Path of peace they have not known. Verse 18, there is absolutely no fear of God before their eyes, it says in Romans chapter 3. So Paul, so Paul first shares with us how we can be right with God by faith, receiving his righteousness. But now, but now he's going to tell the listener our state without God. The major point of Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18 to the end of this chapter, is that when men persistently abandon God, God will finally abandon them. As it says here in this particular chapter, in verse 24, 26, and 28, God gave them over. Terrible words. Four terrible words. God gave them over. And they kept spiraling downward towards sin and deeper in sin. And so Paul allows us now to see, after he presents the facts of how we can live by faith, and the righteous person will live by faith, and we will have the righteousness of God, now he allows us to see his case against those who refuse. Read with me, please, again. And I know we've read it before, but I, I think this chapter, the end of it, must be understood by the church so that we understand who we are before God. 
Romans chapter 1. Let's look at verses 18 to 32. I know we've seen it before. It's, it behooves us to understand it. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give him thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart became darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, first one, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who blessed forever. Amen. Second one, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Third one, verse 28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They became gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Verse 32 caps it all off. And although they know the ordinances of God, they know that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do these things, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. It's the worst of sin. The worst of sin is, is not so much that they, they do it. That's bad, yes, but when someone entices others to join them, that's when it gets nasty. And to go what Karen said, and you could preach this message, I know, I bet you got it going right now in your heart. It's what we're, that's, what, that's the times that we are living in today. It's not only sin in our society, it's those that commit sin are, are giving hearty approval to what they do, and they're asking those to join them even though they know better in here they know better father please guide us father please please father this church is such a great church not, i'm not talking to the building i'm talking to the church the people the, the people that are here what what wonderful people you've brought to the rock community church father Help us to be uh, faithful to, to serve you the best we can, the best we know how. Now, Father, let me talk about what, we're talk, what you told us to talk about. Would you please move me aside? Would you please, Father, hide me 
so that I do not interfere with what you want to say to us today. And would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things, Father, from your law. Even though this message might be current, Father, with today's newspapers, let me not try to make it anything more than what you've made it to be. So move me aside as I say. Teach us as I ask. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. We will give you the honor in all the things, Father. We love you more than life itself. So thank you for Anthony and Brian leading us in worship. Thank you for everyone that's here. We've asked your blessings upon us all in Jesus' most precious, precious name. Amen. Well, we get to listen in. Paul lets the people in Rome and us see what folks look, look like when they live apart from God. He allows us to see how God will not tolerate ungodliness. Nowhere in Scripture, absolutely nowhere in Scripture. That's why we're going to take some time here in chapters 1, at the end of it, chapter 2 and 3, to see so completely the subject of sin so that we can recognize what we do not want to be like. Paul divides these next two chapters into four groupings. One, what we will look at tonight, from verses 18 to 32, we see the the people who just refuse to believe. Whether they're agnostics, whether they're atheists, it, it, I don't know. But they are a group of people who just know better, but they refuse to uh, walk with God. I, you've seen them, I've seen them, we've heard them on radio and television. They're all over the place. They mock at our God. And inside, they, they know better. The second group of people are hypocrites. In chapter 2 to verses 1 to 16, it's the person who thinks that they are moral. They think they're self-righteous. They, they think they're spiritual people. But God says, you're lost. You're absolutely lost without me. You can't conjure up your own righteousness. I must give you mine. Chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3, verse 8, Paul writes to the Jewish mindset. To those who are Jews, to those who had God from the very get-go, from the onset, but stand condemned without Jesus Christ and His forgiveness. They've rejected their Messiah. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 9 to 20, he incorporates the rest of the world, everybody. Jew and Greek alike, he says, you are all lost. Just in case, he, Paul writes, you, oh, he didn't write this, but he implies this. I, I can say this, but he didn't write it in so many words. But he says, I, I include everyone, just in case you think you, you didn't apply to the first three groups. You're in there too. Everyone needs a Savior, he is saying. Let's look at the first one who says there is no God, verses 18 to 32. We've already read in verses 18 through 20 that all believers, all unbelievers are guilty because... Verse 18, they suppressed God's truth in unrighteousness. The reason that that's so bad is verse 19, God himself made himself known to them, but they still suppress his truth in unrighteousness. That means their own righteousness. And so in verse 20, everyone, therefore, is without excuse. 
Because God says He has made Himself clearly seen by us. No excuses. Psalms 19.1 reads this way, The heavens tell of His glory, and their expanse, the greatness of it, declares the work of His hands. You see, all people are without excuse. God has made Himself to known to every single one of us, and with this knowledge of Him, then when we abandon Him, that's the saddest state of all. To have an understanding of who He is, and yet to abandon Him, Well, God warns here in chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, God will, if you abandon Him, He will give you over to your sin, and you will start to spiral downward. This, of course, is is not the first time God has abandoned those who have rejected Him. It's not the first time God has become and abandoned those who are disobedient to Him. In Hosea, The fourth chapter, the 17th verse, I'll just read it to you. Listen, it says concerning Ephraim, God said, Ephraim is joined himself to idols. Therefore, let him alone. I don't know if you remember, but last week, Jesus Christ said that to some of the the Pharisees who questioned him. And he said, leave them. They said, what should we do with them? Leave them alone, he says. They are blind guides leading the blind, and they're going to fall into a pit. Same is said of Israel in the Old Testament. Psalms 81, verses 11 and 12. God says, my people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me, he said. So what did God do? He said in verse 12, so I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. You and I do not want to walk in our own power. God forbid. God forbid. Now, it's not just in the Old Testament, of course. The New Testament says it's just the same as we did last week in Luke. In the book of Acts, the 14th chapter, the 16th verse says, In the generations that have gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own way. That's why Joshua is such a fan of so many of us. When he says, For me and my house, we will serve what? We'll serve the Lord. We won't go our way. We'll go His. So we can see, very obviously see, why in verse 20 forward in chapter 1, why God says, leave them alone, because they are without excuse. They have chosen to go their own way. As God allows man to pursue his own path, Man goes spiraling downward, downward, downward. And and we cannot stop that slide. Not we, when I say we, I talk in the general of mankind. Can't stop the slide on our own because from the moment of the fall, it all started way back with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel back in the garden. From that moment on, man was naturally bent towards sin. That's what we are. Romans chapter 6, we'll come there eventually, verses 6 through 18. Paul reasons with the people, do you not know, he says in verse 16 of chapter 6, that when you present yourself to someone as a slave for obedience, you are a slave to the one you obey, 
either to sin resulting in death or obedience, which results in righteousness. Choose, it says, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to obey? It's either sin, which will result in death, or obedience, which results in righteousness. He says in verse 17, But thanks be to God that you were, you were, formerly you were slaves of sin, he said. But you became obedient, he said, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Thank God for us. Insist that we study the Word of God. I had one person, this is years ago, came to church, a friend of mine. He had brought his wife, been telling her about it a lot. And so she came with him and he said, well, she's never going to come back. And he says, why? He says, well, he said, all you did was study the Bible. And she, she said she wanted to hear a little bit more than just that. You people won't allow that. You won't allow me to do some philosophical point of view. You want to hear, what does God have to say to us? How can we become more and more men and women who walk with him? I love you for that. That's the core of my love for you. So he says, thank God you were slaves of sin, but you became obedient from your heart to the form of teaching that you were committed. He said in verse 18, Paul wrote, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's so great. Listen, the more a person pursues righteousness and tries to get right with God on their own effort, apart from God, leaving Him out of our lives, the more we become enslaved to sin. And that ultimate, death, that ultimate result is death. Well, I wanted you to note the progression of sin before we get into other things tonight. In verses 24 to 28, You'll just take a look at it. God gave them over to their sins. Verse 24, 26, and 28. The progression is lust, impurity. Their bodies became dishonored. They exchanged God's truth for a lie. This is all between 24 and 28. They worshipped and served a creature rather than the Creator. God gave them over to degrading passions and decent acts depraved minds doing things which were not proper. As we move to verses 29 to 31, the spiral further goes downward. Verse 29, 30, and 31. Look, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips. It's like today's newspaper, is it not? Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Paul illustrates through all of this that in and of our own merit, mankind has, is not good. We have nothing but evil. Our nature is naturally bent towards sin, Just as Romans chapter 3 reminds us, verses 10, 12, and 23, there is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none that does good, nope, not even one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To ignore God's provision for yours and my sin is to try to improve ourselves on our own power. Invariably, 
that ends up by committing the worst of sins, and that is a, a sin of self-righteousness, pride. Look what I did. God, look, look. Aren't you glad I'm one of yours? No. God warns Israel in the book of Judges, the 10th chapter, the 13th verse, you've forsaken me because you have forsaken, you serve other gods, he says. So the Lord says to Israel, therefore I will deliver you no more. That's pretty desperately bad words. I will deliver you no more. See, only God can truly remove your sin and my sin. Only God can deliver us from whatever it is that is tormenting us. Whatever it is that you and I are going through that is, is just the worst of times. Only God can deliver us. So let's not forsake Him. Let's not serve other gods. The only way we can get His righteousness is through His Son. For, to, for you and me to try to eliminate our own sin, our own guilt, by our getting our own righteousness, by doing whatever it is we think that is, is right, it's impossible. And verse 32 tells us dreadful outcome. I mean, it is dreadful, folks. Verse 32 is as bad as it gets. It tells us that the spiral that is going downward and downward and downward drives a person deeper, deeper, deeper into sin and further and further and further away from the grace of God. So what happens to those who try to usurp God's plan for His righteousness, which is His Son, Jesus Christ? What happens to those who try to live on their own righteousness, knowing that, that He will not allow their self-righteous acts? Look, they knew. Verse 32, you really would need to look at it. Although they know the ordinances of God, they know God's law, they know His rules. They know that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. And that is, I believe, what Karen wrote me about this morning. To justify one's own sin is wicked enough, but to approve and encourage others to sin, that's immeasurably worse. A society that openly condones and defends sin has reached the deepest level of corruption. We live in a society today that sexual promiscuity is celebrated. We glamorize our, um, uh, not ours, their, whoever it is that want to claim them, the actors and, and their lifestyle, we glamorize them. The rights of homosexuals, the rights of abortion, and on and on and on are de fervently defended across our land today. Just this week, we've seen the outcry of those who come against a, a businessman. Mr. Kathy, is it? Of Chick-fil-A? We have someone here who owns a, a Chick-fil-A business. Who is it? I thought so. I'm, a, I'm 
we're coming, buying stuff from you. This businessman stood against same partner marriages. Just it was all he was doing, as I understand it, was answering a question either at a church or some function where he was in with like-minded people. And now many wish to judge him and in the press, in the media, and in our society, asking for his business. We have politicians asking that his business be shut down and that if anyone wants to come into their community, you can't come because we don't cater to people like you. You've got to be kidding me. And so we live in this type of society today. And I warn you, no, no, forgive me on that. That was poorly said. Paul warns us, me and you, don't live like this, he says. Beware, you, not, you need to know what is false so that you can understand the, the depth of the truth that you believe. So that you can lavish in your, your knowledge of knowing your Savior and Lord and just cherishing this moment. Cherishing the fact that He loves you. And that you can love Him back. And not because of anything that you are or anything that you've done. Just that He loves you. What a privilege. We are a privileged people. Wow. I wanted to finish early on purpose because I want to talk to you. So let's close in prayer and then pretend like we weren't here for the last half hour or so and let's kick it up again. Because I've got to talk to you about a serious... um, about as serious as stuff as I've ever talked to you about before. At least to me, at least to me, it's as, as serious as I've ever been to you, with you. So, Father, thank you for this, this place in Scripture and help us to understand it fully so that we are fully aware of what Paul was saying to those dear people in Rome concerning knowing you and understanding you and knowing the other side, the opponent, so to speak so that we know how to reason with those that don't know you, and so that we might defend, Father God, your kindness and your love. And so, Father, I pray all the time that you would open our eyes so that we would behold the wonders of, of your truth. Please do that. And please, Father, let the people know here how much I love them. Not just the couple or few that I mentioned, I, I think of Jeff and his dear wife. And I think of, ah, if I start naming everybody, I can't. Father, I love these people. I love them so much. Please bless us. Please take us and use us, Father, for your glory all the days of our lives, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.